Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by um, Karthik, uh, CEO, co-founder of R. Miller Insurance. Um, we just discussed that and I'm thinking, I hope I've got that right. Is, are we just R. Miller or are we R. Miller Insure? Or, um... uh, R. Miller Assurance. Assurance. There we go. <laughs> Embarrassingly, if anyone had heard, we literally had that conversation about ten seconds before we hit record. So um, it shows all 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 best laid plans and things. Um, Carthy, before I go and uh, massacre any more of your company name and um, profile, uh, perhaps it'd be great if you could introduce yourself and, and the Armilla business. Excellent. No, thank you for having me, uh, Alex. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm Karthik, um, CEO and co-founder of Armilla Assurance. Um, and what we do at Armilla is um, essentially verify and guarantee the performance of AI models. Uh, with the proliferation and adoption of AI, one of the biggest challenges for enterprises is being sure about what they're procuring from third-party models. Um, so we help enterprises um, break down the risks that are presented by these models uh, with our technology and our platform uh, which forms our Armilla Verified and Assurance um, um, uh, report. And then we provide a guarantee uh, to our um, assessment as well. Uh, essentially, should the um, performance of the model degrade um, and whatever KPI that we are assuring degrade, uh, we will reimburse the, the enterprise uh, as, a, as a protection of their return on investment. Okay, wow. Um, so this is a kind of like net new risk, isn't it? This this is this is where you know and and you know we have to be transparent and uh, be flattering. You, you you are certainly a business that's been a lot of buzz about. There's been a lot of excitement. We work very closely with the Lloyd's Lab, and, and we want to dive into that Lloyd's experience later. But there was a lot of lot of excitement from um, people when we said we were going to have you on the podcast because you fall into that absolutely net new risk category um this hasn't been done before this 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 sort of insurance contract is is that correct um definitely for the a for for ai models hasn't been done before um yeah. it is absolutely an emerging category of risk uh anytime we we get into uh and stick to the software space anytime we get into a new technology it presents uh Risks in 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 or risks emanate in different ways, right? Which may not have been um, uh, seen before, or it would be the same risks, but the source of those risks is that new technology. So with AI, there is absolutely a, a whole host of risks um, and how they emerge, how they present themselves to an organization. And now the question is, how does the organization and enterprise evolve? Uh, in their risk management practices um, and protection of, of of the organization from those risks, and and that's where now we need to have some innovative new ways of risk transferring um, uh, those exposures. Mm-hmm. It it falls into that kind of category, and I was talking about this um, with a cyber MGA, um, and we were talking about it falls into that category of it's not enough now just to offer insurance products that you know play at the point of failure in that we have to work with insureds or potential insurers on education evolution of kind of risk management and we were talking about cyber but we were saying even on the personal level you know uh health insurance you know i i have my smartwatch on and and it monitors how often they go to the gym and that impacts kind of 
how the price of my health insurance. Um, it, it, in your view, is is that the only way that we're going to see insurance evolve? Because that, that's that's my belief is that we kind of we've we've been at arm's length for too long, and now it's actually about giving people the tools to kind of improve risk management with these emerging risks. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the uh, as we digitize different aspects of you know our personal lives, our corporate lives, uh, you know, the the capability of measuring these risks uh, is is evolving, right? So this is not that the risks have changed in sort of established protections; it's how we monitor and measure those risks. Uh, definitely is going to change. I mean, let's take um, you know auto auto insurance for example. Uh, you know, if we truly believe that self driving cars will will take over the market in the next decade or so, how we measure and how we who is even the insured now changes, and who provides the insurance also will change. And so the evolution is the in, insurance industry itself keeping up with the evolving. Uh, trends and, and uh, technologies, um, and of course, there's new categories of risks that are that are emerging as well. But now we have climate risk as a, as a big uh, um, uh, sector that is that is growing, and we, we're trying to understand what that means uh, for an organization. And similarly, AI, um, the risk of AI with the scale of adoption that we expect AI to have, that risk is going to be pretty massive. And we have just gotten started in even putting our arms around in understanding what those risks are. Some of those risks are very specific to AI models themselves. And some of these risks are existing risks, but they're impacted by this new technology. So in both these categories, we we need to understand how we measure and monitor uh, for that risk. And then, of course, uh, provide the appropriate risk transfer. And absolutely, education is important. Um, Risk managers are... You know, your second line of defense or your third line of defense are removed from the first, um, um, you know, the, the the front office, right? Which are implementing these solutions, improving the business from a revenue standpoint or a cost efficiency standpoint. Uh, they need to now start, so they're leading the pack, and so risk managers now need to keep up and understand what they need to do, and so that's where the education component comes through uh, quite well. And then, of course, there's a two-way dialogue between the front and the back. Uh, as to how do they manage that on an ongoing basis? Mm. Where do you? That, I think that's a really interesting point because I was thinking about the kind of risk manager is is almost absent from the decision making of which AI tools or AI models that are being implemented. Um, it doesn't where we're talking about in this context doesn't sound like a good idea. <laughs> um, uh, so, so where do you come into the situation, or where's the kind of best point for you to come into the situation? Because once the horse is bolted and someone's implemented something which isn't fit for purpose, um, presumably it's uninsurable. Do, do they have to go through the framework? How does it work in practical terms about what, where you get involved? Yeah. So typically, where we um are involved is you're right in that the first uh, line of the, the, the front office or the business makes a decision on what technology they need. Uh, risk managers are not necessarily in the decision-making process. They're consulted for sure, but they're not the decision maker. Um, but once that decision is made 
part of that decisioning of, uh, and uh, let's stick to you know third party sourcing. So third party models. You know, uh, there was a recent report that we uh, that we uh, contributed to between MIT and and BCG, which said that you know more than seventy percent of the companies are using third party AI models, and fifty five percent of the issues that they see with AI come from these third party models, right? So when you're sourcing externally, while the business has chosen a specific vendor, part of that decision process is to consult with the risk managers. And that's where we step in. We come in and um, uh, do a full uh, assessment uh, of the AI model, both from a qualitative and a quantitative standpoint. So things like, will the model actually deliver? Does the model actually deliver? on its stated goals. And, and the stated goal could be you know, a level of accuracy uh, or a lack of bias in the model. Or um, you know, if it's generative AI, uh, the fact that it has not been trained on copyrighted or proprietary data. So there's many multiple dimensions of this risk. So we, we put a comprehensive uh, review uh, of the model um, and, and the product, really. Uh, the model drives the product. Uh, and in the context of risk managers help inform them as to what their exposure are, what the severity of that exposure could be, and then make the right decision. So now we need to be even more involved with um, uh, we and I say we, I mean the risk managers need to be even more involved in that in that final decision. Once and as part of the decision process to select a vendor, and once that's done, then uh, you go and deploy that into production. So it comes before production, mm-hmm. um, and then the part two of that is once it's in production, how are you ensuring? that the model continues to deliver. And, and this is again, very specific to AI. We're moving from a world of deterministic decision-making to probabilistic decision-making. Mm-hmm. And you know, if we know probability, there's a level of uncertainty into every outcome of, that, um, of a probabilistic system. Um, and so that uncertainty now represents a level of risk. So how big is that? What's the impact of that uncertainty in, in 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 for that use case and for that for that company and then you can make the right choices of if that's the vendor it may be the most accurate model but in, in another case it might be exposing yourself to a very severe type of risk so you may make different decisions on that buying process and then of course ongoing monitoring to ensure that 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 state of gold continues to be delivered mm. I think I started with a sort of simplistic view of saying what if you're buying third party vendor, you know, let's say piece of software that, that uses mm-hmm. an AI model, um, you would have a certain understanding of that, you would have a certain analysis of that. But, and, and forgive me if this is kind of a, a layman's question, but it's more about the in- interaction between the business buying it and the, u- the uniqueness of that with how they interact with that software, how they use that software and how they propose to use it rather than you being able to give a score for a piece of software and then it just has a score. It's about how that company is choosing to use that software. Is, is that correct? Uh, absolutely right. Now, you may have generic software. Um, you know, Let's say um, you were using a SaaS solution. And let's take ChatGPT as, a, as an example because everyone's familiar with ChatGPT these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you're using the, the version that's offered by OpenAI, that's one one model, right? And so uh, you know you can do one sort of analysis of that, um, and it can give a score, right, on on different uh, metrics. 
But when you come to the enterprise, in a, specifically with AI, it gets retrained or customized a little bit or a lot uh, with the enterprise's own data, right? So you will have a foundation model or a base model, which then gets trained with the additional information about that enterprise, which then gives you know um, uh, the right outcomes that are tailored to that organization. So um, that's where you're seeing it's it's not a one single score, uh, but there's a baseline score, and then you customize that to ensure that in the in that context that the model still is within the bounds of what's acceptable. Yeah, and, and where does the um, you mentioned the degradation you're keeping on that? Where does that and how does that degradation show itself um, over the course of time? Yeah, so. Um, and this is particularly true for self-learning models. Um, so the, the promise of artificial intelligence really is that it continuously improves itself as it encounters more information about the world it exists in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that improvement is what keeps it abreast. Now, the challenge with that as well is that improvement may not be what you need. It may be veering or drifting, and that's the technical term that's used. So you have things like data drift. So data drift means the uh, the incoming data um, that's now in the wild may be continuously deferring from the, tra- the data that the model was trained on. So the model is learning. But the model may, if the model is too brittle, it may not be able to deal with that drift. And now your decisions or your predictions from the model are, are off. Um, and so now that now you get a concept drift. So concept drift is that the, the, the concept that the model has learned is also drifting from the baseline. Um, some of it is, so you need to monitor to make sure that that it's it's drifting in the right direction. Drift is not a bad thing if it's a self-learning model. You just need to make sure that it's, it's within the constraints and it's not veering too far off uh, the home base of, of what, 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 what you want to do. It's like you're picking up, picking up bad habits and then... <laughs> Jackie going off in one direction. That's really interesting. Um, you wrote um, a piece quite recently um, called the, the Adoption of AI and the Trust Deficit Increasing. Um, well, I wanted to sort of it, it, it extrapolate on that a little bit. We'll obviously share the link to that as well. But I just thought yeah. it was a, it was really interesting about the trustworthiness and, and trust deficit. And and whenever I think about the conversation about AI, it goes into trust. But what's interesting is something that you've already said in this conversation is that I, I was going to ask you about something about what barriers to widespread adoption. Well, if 70% of businesses are seemingly using some AI already, doesn't seem like widespread adoption is 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 being restrictive. It's more, how do we know what ones to trust and what what not to? So yeah, what wondered if you sort of dive into that piece that you wrote. Yeah, uh, you know this is um, it's not like if if every single person within an organization has used ChatGPT, and, and again I stick to that because it's it's the um, it's top of mind for everyone. And a lot of people have have experimented with it. So, um, you know, you've had issues uh, where, you know, and this turned into an issue, uh, I think for Samsung or one of the companies, um, uh, but essentially their employees were toying around and, and experimenting with ChatGPT and they inadvertently ended up putting in proprietary confidential information about the company into, into, into the model, right? So now that's available publicly. So the so we're, we're just on that point about adoption, um, we have adopted AI 
explicitly, but a lot implicitly, mm. right? So it's not that there's a, um, uh, that, that's why you would see a large, you know, when you see the adoption curve, but within an enterprise, the the scale of what AI can do, we barely touch the surface. That's why we don't see, we don't say adoption is at the maximum because you can essentially infuse AI into most digital processes or even manual processes amplified by these by these models or agents um, that can transform the business end to end. And, and we're waiting for that world. Um, and one of the things that I, I like to think about is, you know, just as we have self-driving cars today, so we've taken a manual effort of driving a car to now completely digitizing that, it's completely autonomous. We're going to go to that same um, uh, process with the organization. And I think we're going to go into a world of self-driving organizations or autonomous organizations where agents are doing a maximal number of the decisions with humans really coming in and and and, and helping um, shape those models and ensuring we're, it's headed in the right direction. So, uh, what that means is we barely we're not there yet at all, and so we're barely scratching the surface of adoption mm-hmm. of AI. So that's on that first part. And so now we come to trustworthiness. The the as I said, no model is hundred percent accurate just by its very nature. It, these models are probabilistic. There is room for error. There's an error quotient uh, built into the into the into the very math of these of these models, and so that presents a risk. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is the training, the data that you train a model on is only a representation of the world that it's going to operate in, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, uh, you know, let's take a, um, an anomaly detection model in manufacturing, um, which is now my favorite one. Um, so you have a vision model that looks at parts that are coming out of a manufacturing line and you're seeing issues, uh, and it's supposed to detect faulty parts. Now it's been trained on previous faulty parts, but let's say there's a brand new fault that no one's seen before, and that's now come into these parts. Will the machine pick up on that anomaly? And if it doesn't, there's an error. A really good model should pick up on most of these, and in as, as an edge case, should not may not pick up on on it. So how do you trust this model? So the 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 plant manager whose accountability it is to ensure the quality assurance of their product and the output of their factory now has to trust this model that it will get all of it right. And today the humans in one of the plants that we were talking to, they think they have um, an accuracy rate of 96%. Even humans get it wrong. So if you introduce a model, yes, it will give you a lot of cost efficiencies. You don't, you know, you don't need to have 10 line line, you know, operators looking at the faulty parts for visual inspection. A model does that, lots of cost savings. But if the model is only 90% accurate, what happens then? Mm-hmm. So now you have an incremental issue, uh, i.e., from 96 to 90%. And then second, um, how do you now trust that it will pick up? On, on on issues that maybe a human is more trained or better trained to to pick up on just because of our faculties. So that's where so that's just one example of, of trust. So there's there's the inherent uncertainty in the model. It's these specific use case type issues uh, that it emanates in. Uh, so the data that it's trained on, uh, right, has to be representative, how well it's done. So th- when you have these challenges, 
that's where the trust deficit comes in, right? And what we will, again, I don't see a world where we will be able to 100% trust the models, but we can get close. And that's the effort right now. How close can we get to understanding what we put in, fully put our minds around it, understand the expo- like the, the, the risks that this presents, where can this go wrong? And the more better we, we do that, the closer we'll get to that objective of greater trust, trust uh, in these systems. And finally, safeguards. So when issues do occur and you anticipate that we do live in a, you know, this probabilistic world and there's, there's room for error, how do you gracefully handle those error situations? Detect them, identify them, and um, deal with them appropriately as quickly as possible. Right, so that's the that's the, how we're going to get to the trust deficit, but that's where it comes from. I think some of this, um, I think some of the trustworthiness and, and the lack of it is, is sometimes I think is driven by you get the evangelists leading the charge, the early adopters, but they're so. And this might be a broader point, but I think everything has to be you have to be pro or against something. You're not allowed to go. I'm really pro AI. Well, but I want safeguards because you're seen as, you know, backward. And and I think the kind of the purest evangelizing about AI is is certain a certain sense is to its deficit because you know some people want to unbridle, just let it run wild, and and you go well, you can't because of things like drift. And when you explain it as you do that, you know, the best models in the world will still make errors. Um, but then the other side of that is true as well. If we don't build enough trust, we're not going to adopt broadly enough. We're not going to be brave enough with our adoption. And therefore, if I understand the technology at all, we probably won't be be giving it the, the model enough data. We won't be feeding it enough to continuously learn so it gets better. Yeah, I, I think the answer is, is not we won't be. I think the answer is how do we? Yeah. Right? And I think... If we understand those gaps, then we can figure out the solutions. And that's what we're really good at as humans, right? We figure a way out. Now, I'll take a step back as well to say, look, I mean, this is what makes us human. You know, we have the uh, ultimate optimists and we have the ultimate cynics and pessimists. And we need to live in a world that's somewhere in the middle of that, right? And that's 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 an ideal world. Um, And we, we do need the optimists to push us forward. And we do need... The, the 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 more retracted ones to understand okay what are the dangers and ensure that we are we're 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 doing it in a responsible manner right I'll give you an example why this is important right um and and and, and I also want to make sure that this that when we talk about optimism um and you know let it run there's a whole domain of existential risk that people are worried about and that's where a lot of this comes from I think um and I don't want to step into that right now. I think it's it's a it's it's a very deep conversation. We can have a whole yeah. other episode on that. But the 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 coming back to an example, right? So most people don't know this, but two years ago or three years ago now, the majority Dutch government had to resign because of an AI model. This was uh, a model that was used in the tax department that was detecting fraudulent claims. And and this was particularly related to child welfare um, um, reimbursements or claims um, on the on the tax sheets, and unfortunately the model got it wrong, and it was it it basically 
it ended up targeting uh, um, sort of social uh, economically um, uh, challenged uh, segment of the population. And so as it is, you have economic challenges, financial challenges, and now you have the tax department coming after you saying, you need to return uh, this, this benefit mm-hmm. for whom it was designed in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so that was very embarrassing and the government was forced to resign, right? But it's not the fact that the government was forced to resign. Take a step back. Think of the number of consumers that were impacted by the use of that model. You had an optimist, probably unbridled, didn't check it, and now you have lives impacted, right? And so we have to remember that. Who is being impacted? Um, And when these things happen with AI, they happen at a scale that was not there before. So previously, let's say we had, I don't know, just for a number, 100 agents looking through these forms and, and adjudicating whether the claim is right or not. Now you have one model, right? And so actually, so if you had 100 agents and two of them uh, you know, were, were not trained properly or whatever the case may be, they felt something was was off and, and it was just two of them. But 98% of the, of the claims went, went through. But now when you switch that to one model, that same 2% issue could be exacerbated across 100% of the cases because you have one model perpetuating and scaling the same issue. That's why this is dangerous, right? And so we, we doing this responsibly is, is important. And we also have to be pragmatic in that we're not going to catch 100% of these cases. And that's why, what do you do to protect when these issues occur? How, how quickly do you detect, identify, and, and remediate those issues is going to be, uh, is going to be critical. Mm-hmm. It made me think about the governance of businesses more broadly as well, because, I mean, you know, everyone has had this situation where you're dealing with a usually a big business and the something has gone wrong in the process. So, you know, I've bored everyone to death on the podcast about I had all these problems with my, I just could not get a bank card delivered to our office and everything went off this card and it just stopped for no reason. And there was something going wrong, but there was no way of coming out of the loop of the process. So you just had to keep going back into the process. And, you know, and it, it reminds me to a certain extent of, of, of that is that there needs to be a way of addressing anything that does go wrong that um, accepts them that, that there is a possibility that the model has gone wrong. And 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 the, and the way I the, the reason I'm drawing that analogy is that, is that we kept having the same conversation and then we're going yeah but this is the process and I was like you know, but what do you do when the process is broken because what's happened is the process isn't working so you know for the same situation if if the model is is broken down at some point or is giving a wrong wrong result it's building up a framework of going okay what do we do then but also building in an acceptance that that is a possibility and I think sometimes some of the unhelpfulness is about people pushing models going well they couldn't possibly go wrong and of course they can like everything most things can um and and it's exacerbated problem because exactly as you said and this is not just ai by the way right of course yeah no, no, this, this is, is life right this is just a pro- I'm, talk- I'm talking about a process with a very well-known british bank you're <laughs> just like <"This> <laughs> wrong and i don't know why but it is yeah and yeah. uh, uh, Exactly right. I mean, you can go meta philosophical about it, but at the same time, you know, Murphy's law is a real thing. So you know, it, but it's, so it, it, it's it's processes, it's technology, it's people, 
we all have errors built into everything. Um, and it's exacerbating when those errors are perpetuated and not rectified soon enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when, 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 um, when we look at these models, I mean, software, um, I was having this discussion with, with, with someone, you know, even in software, even a deterministic system, it's not a matter of if it will fail, it's a matter of when. Yeah. And the, the, the and as as you keep shortening that gap, right, and the severity, and um, then you're you're in a, you're a better better position. Mm-hmm. So um, having said that, I think you know what we are trying to do is trying to ensure that we wrap our heads around as much as possible that delta that that error rate. Can we can we can we can we measure that and quantify it and understand the impact? And if we do, then we can step in and say, look, if it does, this is the probability of it going wrong. Let us help you um, remediate. And, you know, this is where, you know, this is a 4,000-year-old, 400 or 4,000-year-old solution, right? Insurance is not new uh, to a brand new technology. And and I think insurance has stepped in as uh, the industry and, and, and even the concept has stepped in as a means to facilitate um, um, interactions and 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 all of the human activity, if you will, um, by taking some of that risk away from conducting these activities. And so, all we're saying is now, okay, we've we know this is error prone. Um, if this, if this, if the, if, the, if someone takes the right steps to ensure that that error is minimized. And detected if it when it does occur well, then you are you can now get a protection. So for when things do go wrong, so that those are good risks that you can take on. So now the question becomes: How do we measure this risk? Existing policies that we have in place as insurance do not adequately price this risk in, and that's the challenge, right? Um, most organizations, well, I've, I've got cyber insurance, I've got my ENO, I've got my general liability insurance, et cetera. It's true. It does cover. But those insurances policies do not adequately price in this new risk. And that's what we need to change. So before you can price that risk, you need to quantify that risk. So we do both, um, where we're, we've started um, quantifying that risk, helping organizations um, putting the right assurances and assessment practices in place, and then you can you can then get a suitable enough um, uh, uh, risk protection or risk transfer through an insurance product. Mm. The, the 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 Lloyd's app is where we met you for the first time, um, cohort ten when you and and we were there from pitch day to midpoint trade show. Um, I just wanted to sort of understand that experience. You know, what what did you come to Lloyd's kind of with and for and how much did that kind of shape where you are today? Yeah, excellent question. Um, look, and, I, and this is uh, with a lot of humility, I will say that, you know, we, um, we're technologists, right? Um, that's the world we come from. Um, and, but we know enough that you know having you know we've, we've also worked with insurance companies we've built actuarial models in the past you know my co-founder and i have been in the ai space for the last 15 years so it's not something that we stumbled into um in, in the last few uh we've actually built companies around this and so 
you know, we've been exposed to how insurance steps in. And that's where we started thinking from as our clients were telling us that, look, you can help us measure the risk, but but the risk still exists. So now what do we do? And that's when we got to thinking that th- th- there was a gap in this market. Okay, so technologists seeing this problem um, and we had a good enough inform- uh, you know, understanding of this. And uh, even though my wife is a chief uh, compliance officer at a large insurer here in Canada, my understanding was, was superficial. Uh, so we did a lot of research and 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 learning through this. Um, what we found with Lloyd's was the opportunity to get a uh, a deep dive, a crash course, if you will, on are we even thinking about this correctly? And that was a question we 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 entered the lab with. With with see, we're seeing this problem. Our clients are seeing this problem. We think insurance is an answer. Let's go figure workshop this through through the Excel, through the Lloyd's Lab um, accelerator, and we were lucky because um, maybe the timing was right with 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 ChatGPT coming in and and you know AI taking sort of everyone's um, capturing the imagination. Um, we had several mentors from several syndicates who who came in saying yes, we think there's something here we would love like to work with you on, and so we spent three months. Um, you know, presenting the problem, getting their feedback, and 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 really workshopping. You know, is this real? And if it's real, how do we actually go about solving it? And we exited with creating our first product, right? Uh, which we launched a couple of works, uh, weeks ago, which is the product guarantee, right? So we can now guarantee the performance of a model, and and you know, in partnership with uh, Swiss Re, um, um, uh, Greenlight Re, and Chaucer, the Deloitte syndicates. Um, who 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 really um, uh, you know innovative companies that that really understood what we were trying to solve for and agreed, and so that's the first foray into this. But all of that came through because of the of the mentorship. What we entered with as an idea and what we exited with as a solution, uh, the idea was right. The solution uh, got refined through that through that process. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's such a good example of what the lab's there for. You know, it's to bring in new ideas, new people, new thinking to insurance. And and it's to sort of allow you to kind of plug into that insurance expertise. So you go with exactly that, you know, um, a variation on probably what you did. And and, and sometimes even like a failure and saying, right, this this really doesn't work in the way that we're thinking about it, but it will in this. uh, did, did did they all come on board? Were the, the the mentors come on board with providing capacity as well, or, or was there there was a relationship? Did it go that far? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, Greenlight Re and Chaucer were our mentors in the lab, and um, yeah, I mean that's that's how um, you know we 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 got um, we that's how they came in to provide capacity um, to the product, um, and look, and that six uh, you know what needs to now happen is to ensure that the market understands that this this is this is something that they need that they there's an option for them to mm-hmm. to protect um and uh, we're really excited because if ai is going to get adopted at the scale that we think it's going to get adopted i mean rep- i mean there's reports everywhere but the largest one i saw was 15 or 30 trillion in economic activity that is going wow. to get impacted by ai Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you look at it from that standpoint, and now we know that every model 
has some level of risk that's just by design built into the models, 15 trillion, just do the math. I mean, that's a huge yeah. amount of risk that's going to emerge. Uh, we need to have a solution for it. And, and I think that was the, I wouldn't say it was an epiphany, but that was certainly the realization, more visceral realization that uh, that everyone at the table, including us and our mentors got. And uh, yeah, I think, the, and we were working with the ones that, that um, you know, I think are are at the forefront of the innovation spectrum um, in, in the in the lab. I mean, there's others, of course. Don't get me wrong. It's just um, we ended up working with the ones we did, but um, at yeah. least the market now understands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, yeah. We know the green light and team and the Chaucer team really, really well. And as um, I say, okay, I couldn't. You'd struggle to find two two better places to kind of work with on something this at the edge of kind of what what insurance can offer but um is there um i don't know we'll have to start to wrap things up but um i was thinking about the 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 way that you could sell is it have you looked at kind of embedded as a as a potential option in the future is that something that's being considered i think there's different business that many different business models embedded is certainly one right where Uh, you you can be embedded within um, an AI um, you know AI vendors product uh, and uh, you know they and this is a big value proposition for them. So if you look at I've only spoken of the enterprise, but if you look at it from a vendor standpoint, uh, when that trust deficit exists, how do these I don't know what thousand different companies that have been created that are now working with AI and building innovative solutions, how do they get across a trust factor so an enterprise can purchase and adopt their solution? Um, and so this is, we provide a path now to say, we will come and assess as an independent third party and then assure and guarantee that your model will deliver, which allows an enterprise to buy uh, your solution with greater confidence, right? And perhaps mm-hmm. faster. Mm-hmm. And that is um, the and that is essentially an embedded opportunity um, um, or way to look at it. But there's other, uh, other uh, sort of go-to-market um, opportunities as well, as I said, from the from the from the enterprise, that's a different value proposition as well. Where for the enterprise, it's it's well, how do I scale this across all of my purchases uh, or, or adoption of third party AI models? How do we how do we do that in a in a in a compliant and and confident in a confident manner? Um, like I think the 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 we're we're just at the very start of this journey um, on risk transfer solutions for AI. Some exist, um, but what needs to exist, the future is going to look very different. How, and this is going back to your very first question, where is innovation going to come from uh, for, for insurance, right? Is it is it just this digitization or is it different ways and modalities? I think if we, we need to start thinking out of the box how we even insure these models and what we insure is going to be a one another sort of um, uh, se- uh, segment of, of 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 thinking and innovation, and how we even capitalize that risk um, is going to be up for um, uh, debate as well. I think that there's opportunities to do, you know, innovative ways. Like, the, is there a mutual way of doing this? Right, a, a shared yeah. risk pool. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, um, um, you know. Uh, alternative sources of capital. And these conversations are happening elsewhere too. But innovation is not just completely brand new. It's how do you even pick up existing things and bring it into a new context and, and employ that to, to, to benefit. 
I think that's that those all those opportunities exist uh, in this current uh, in this current environment of AI risk. Yeah, I I agree, and, and you know I, I think what's exciting and and certainly for a person that's worked in the insurance space for for seventeen years is, is speaking to people like yourself, and I think we need to do more of that. And, and look, I'm I'm not going to bang my talent hat for too long, so I managed to avoid saying that I work in the talent industry for a little while. But um, you know that's that's what we've needed for a long time. We need experts that come in and bring new ideas and then look at what we do in insurance and risk transfer in a different way. And I think Armila is a perfect example of that. Um, I think I could talk to you for hours and we could really get into the kind of the really high level meta conversation about AI, but thank you for uh, being a guest. I've wanted to do this for a really, really long time. So I really appreciate you being a guest on the Leadership Insurance Podcast. No, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I've I've always enjoyed our our interaction. So uh, this is excellent too probably put it on the record. So thank you for having me. <laughs> That's really kind of you. Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Alex. Bye.